Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Oh, praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, we are in, I think this is our third week in a four-part series called, What Does God Say? And uh, three weeks ago, we talked about what God says about salvation. How many think it's important to have God's input? You want God's information on your situation. Come on, can I have a better amen? You know, we live in an age, in a culture where everybody has a platform, everybody has a microphone. How many of you know everybody has an opinion? And they're quick to share their opinion. I'm thankful for Facebook, but I want to hear what this book has to say about my situation. We talked about what does God say about salvation. I think that's one of the most important questions that can be answered. If you were here last week, we talked about what does God say about culture. And uh, next week, I want to give you this heads up, next week, the topic is going to be a kind of a PG-13, what does God say about sex, okay? So I just want to give a heads up to all the parents and grandparents, if you bring your children into big church, we're going to talk about big stuff. And um, so just a a little caution there, if you feel like it's best to have your children in different environments, I understand that. But I will say this. Your kids are hearing more than what you think they do. Your kids are exposed to way more than what you would realize. And I think it's super important that we as pastors and spiritual leaders come alongside you as parents and we equip our kids with the biblical context of God's gift to husbands and wives. Amen? So don't forget that. And listen, pray for me. (laughs) How many of you would not want to be me next Sunday? Yeah, it's awkward enough to talk about sex. Try doing it with, you know, 3,000 people watching. Oh, yeah, and my mom called me yesterday. She said, son, I'm going to be watching that service online. How'd you like to talk about this in front of your mama? Oh, Lord. So don't forget that next week. Today I want to talk to you. The topic is this. What does God say about himself? What does God say about himself? himself. I I think one of the best ways to kick off this conversation today is to quote a famous uh, theologian. He's one of the great Christian thinkers of our modern day, A.W. Tozer. Some of you have read books by him. He's so intellectual, great apologist. A.W. Tozer said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why don't you let that sink in for for a moment? In other words, what A.W. is telling us is this. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Now, I want you, in your mind, just to press pause on all the distraction around you, and I want you to visualize, when, when I say God, what comes to your mind? What images? What characteristics? How do you connect the dots Who is God to you? Because how you answer this question is probably one of the most important things about you. You know, if we were to ask a hundred random people off the streets who God is, how many thinks we might have a hundred different answers? 
how you answer that question is going to shape the trajectory of your life. Some people think, well, God is so abstract. He's, he's the cosmos. He's this, this force. He's, he's karma. He's so distant we can't have any knowledge of him. He, we, he doesn't have much to do with us. Some people think God is this doomsday God, this hellfire and damnation God. This God that just gets joy out of seeing you mess up. He's waiting for you to make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, then he's got a button in heaven and zap, down comes a lightning bolt. Uh, Some people think God's a a scorekeeper, you know, that that you have to earn, almost like a checking account. You have credits and you have debits. And and if you earn enough credits and and you, you minimize your debits, then on that day, you get in. You know, some people come to church on Sunday to earn a credit to make up for the debit they made last night. Mm, Come on. This ledger system of God keeping score. Some people think God is a stained glass God and he speaks in in King James, these, thou's, and wherefore art thou's. Some people think he's a Google God. Let me just Google. I mean, I don't really want a relationship with him, but I know he knows everything, so I'll just kind of type in an answer if I get stuck or type in a question he can give me an answer. Some people think he's this kind of this great grandpa in the sky, this old gentle man. He's kind of, he wears hearing aids because he's hard of hearing. He's not really dialed into the 21st century. How many know there are all different kinds of pictures of God? I want to tell you this. God does not like to be misrepresented. He doesn't like to be misquoted, and he doesn't like to be misinterpreted. God wants to speak for himself. Let me tell you this. How many of you have ever been in, uh, maybe you went to a restaurant, you and your spouse or you and your boyfriend, girlfriend, you're having a, a date night, and you're wanting a nice, quiet dinner, and in walks this family with crazy, rowdy kids. Don't you just love that? I mean, kids all over the place. You're thinking, man, come on, mom. Come on, dad. Control the kids. I was at a grocery store a while back, and I remember going through the checkout line, and the lady in front of me, bless her heart, she had a lot of groceries, a lot of them, and she had this four-year-old Tasmanian devil. (laughs) Man, he was ripping stuff off the shelves, and man, just out of control, and she turned back and looked at me as if to say, isn't he sweet? (laughs) And I'm thinking, no handcuff this kid and get him out of here, man. Get him to the car. He's going to tear the place down. Let me ask you this. Don't we form opinions of parents based on the conduct of their kids? Come on, talk to me. Okay, now I've set you up. You know what I'm stepping into. If we form opinions of parents based on the conduct of their children, don't you think the world forms opinions of God based on the conduct of his kids? Oh, come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Mm. God doesn't want to be misrepresented. He doesn't want to be misinterpreted. I, I I, I don't want God to look down from heaven and cringe when he sees my life and he says, oh, Mike, that is so not what I'm about. So today, what we're going to talk about is what God says about himself. It's not the evangelist. It's not what he says. It's not what the missionary says. It's not what your grandmama says. And thank God for all of them. But what does God say about himself? Exodus 34, verse 6. Now, I'm telling you this. I have the impossible task of telling you what God says about himself in 24 minutes and 8 seconds. Okay? It's, it's not going to happen. Now, I gave you a handout, okay? This is going to guide our conversation. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not getting through it. Okay, I've studied, I've prepared. I, I don't know if I have the time to cross the finish line. For some of you that are left brainers, you're going to be very upset with me because I'm not filling in all the blanks and connecting all the dots. For those of you that are right brainers, you kind of artsy fartsy creative types, you don't even realize there's a handout, okay? <laughs> but this is some good information that will allow you in your own time to follow up and see how God describes himself. Exodus 34, let me give you some context. And I'm going to do my best to talk to you about three mountains. In the eight o'clock service, we didn't get off the first mountain, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Stuck on the mountain. Uh, Moses receives the Ten Commandments when he's on the top of Mount Sinai. This is a place where he met with God. Mount Sinai is a significant mountain. God's speaking to Moses, and he writes the Ten Commandments. He writes the law on these stone tablets. Now, while Moses is on the mountain, the Israelites are at the foot of the mountain, and guess what they're doing? They're worshiping the golden calf. Somebody say, my, my, my. Come on, there's trouble in the camp. Listen, God is, is with Moses, and men, they're having this amazing conversation, downloading this instruction. Moses goes down, and he sees the idolatry of the people. What does he do with those stone tablets? He throws them to the ground, destroys them. There's this moment now. It's like, okay, and God is so frustrated with the Israelites. It's so funny because as I'm reading the, the journey of the children of Israel, half the time God is wanting to kill them and start over. How many of you look at your kids sometimes and just think, man, I want to start over? <laughs> half the time God's wanting to kill them and start over, and the other half the time Moses is wanting to kill them and tell God they died. And here's this moment, and, and here's what God says in, in, in Exodus 32 and 33. He says, listen, I will no longer lead you. I'm going to send my angel. Because if I walked with you, I just, oh, I would destroy every one of you. And this is where Moses says, wait a second. Lord, if you don't lead us, I'm not going. I'm not going without you because I need two things. I need your presence and I need your perspective. Come on, somebody. How many of you want the presence of God? Lord, I need you with me. I, I don't take a step without you. I thought about, you know, the older I get, the more I realize how desperately I need him. So God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to let my glorious presence pass in front of you. No man has ever seen God at this moment. And this is a significant moment, not just in biblical history, but in human history. God is going to describe himself to Moses. And this is what the scripture says. Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. In fact, Yahweh is translated the Lord. So there's double emphasis here. Notice God is passing before Moses and he announces himself. Here I am, the Lord, the Lord. And anytime there's, there's a, a multiple occurrence of a name, the significance points to the infinite importance of this moment. And God is basically getting ready to show Moses his greatness. So if you have your, your handout, greatness, I want you to see. Now, let, let me give you some characteristics of the greatness of our God. Again, I won't be able to explain all of it, but I'm going to do my very best. I want to give you what I call the alls, okay? And you're going to see how this thing stacks up. Alls. He is always existing. Did you know that God has no beginning and no ending? 
Aren't you thankful for the eternal quality of God? Now, the earth has a beginning. In the beginning, God created. God, in his infinite greatness, he has no starting line. He has no finish line. You and I have a start date, and we have an expiration date. But God is not confined by space or time. Can I have a good amen? And let me just say something for all the intellectuals that are out there as well. I'm a man of faith, but I'm not against science. Okay, And I know that there's a certain uh, uh, curriculum that's taught in our education system. But let me tell you this. I believe that science confirms everything the scripture says. True science confirms biblical truth. God created. God has always existed. Notice what the scripture says in Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Can I have a good amen? These are the characteristics and the attributes of this almighty Yahweh, the Lord. And I want you to see right out the gate, He's always existing. Guess what? He's always present. Look at the second thing in your hand. He's always present. Omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Parents, do you ever wish you could be two or three places at the same time? Hustling your kids to soccer practice and dance recitals and, and school and youth group. And, and all. man, you wish you could divide yourself into three or four different people and, and be at different places at once. God is not confined by time or space, but he is always present. And this is good news. You know why? Because it tells me this. You will never go where God has not already been. I want you to hear that because some of you are in a painful place right now. God's been there before. Some of you experience heartache and hurt. Some of you are in a new season. You've never seen this chapter. You've never felt this kind of pain or pressure. But you and I will never go where he has not already been. God is not a travel agent sending you to places they'll never go. He's a tour guide that takes you by the hand and says, walk with me. I'll show you how to get here. I've been this route before. Are you with me? He's always present. How many of you are thankful for the presence of God? Uh, Listen, there may be times that you feel lonely, but I promise you, you're never alone. Look at what the scripture says, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? Nothing is off limits to God. I think that's good news for us because sometimes we're in such a difficult, dark place, and God says, that space I can occupy. Listen, he's always existing. He's always present. He's always the same. How many of you are thankful for that? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I was in high school, one of my buddies dated a a girl, and he he called her Miss Dow Jones. I'm like, why are you calling her Miss Dow Jones? He says, she's like the stock market. She's up one day. She's down the next. She gains 100 points and loses 200 points. I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus. You need to get out that relationship. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You know, they say before you have kids, you have certain highs and you have certain lows. But as a parent, 
When you have children, your highs become higher and your lows become infinitely lower. Can all the moms and dads say amen? There's something about consistency. Here's perhaps one of my favorite characteristics about the almighty Lord. He is always the same. Malachi 3 verse 6, the Bible says, I am the Lord and I do not change. We live in unprecedented times. None of us could have imagined what the last 13 or 14 months have looked like in this country and in the world between politics and pandemics and social unrest and everything in between. But here's what I love. Our God is steady. Our God is solid. Our God, you know what you get when you're with God. There is no guesswork when it comes to him. You know, over the centuries, the church has walked through plagues. We've endured oppression. We've endured poverty. Uh, We've endured wars. But you know, I mean, think about it. Think about the book that we cling to. Think about, we sing psalms that were written in caves. We preach letters that were penned in prisons. We we hold to teachings that were discovered and revealed in the wilderness. We may be in a new set of circumstances, but we serve the same God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of every generation. Can I have a good amen? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Oh, that's so good. These are the the, the traits, the characteristics, the nature of Yahweh. He's all-knowing. Can I tell you this? God is a know-it-all. Another word is omniscient. Omniscient. He knows everything. Have you ever had to make a decision and you didn't know the answer? How many of you are making important decisions in your life right now? How many of you, you need knowledge that's beyond your own intellect? Here's the good news about God. He is all-knowing. Do you know nothing has ever occurred to the Lord? Some of you are thinking, hmm, something just now occurred to you. Hmm, never thought about that. God has never, listen, I've never been in prayer and heard the Lord say, whoa, 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 Mike, 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 Mike. Say that again. <laughs> wow, that was really good. Could you, I want to write that down because history makers are, yeah, God's not confined by history. And you're never going to say anything that impresses God. He already, he knows it all. And the good news is you don't have to know everything as long as you know the one who does know everything. Oh, listen to this scripture in 1 John 3 verse 20. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Oh, this ought to help somebody today. Because the things you don't know are, are, are punishing you right now. You're, you're worrying about unknowns. Can I tell you this? Whatever you're worrying about, God is already working on. He's working on that thing. And guess what? He knows it. So when you reach the end of your knowledge, you've just tapped into his. God knows everything. Listen to this. Let me, let me wrap up this, this first little list. He's also all-powerful. Mm. I think I may need to just kind of drill down on this one. He is sovereign. He is omnipotent. 
sometimes I feel the enemy of your soul wants you to believe that the devil is big and God is little. When you're getting into some problems, sometimes you're just, you know, consumed by everything that's going on around you. And you can get this impression that the big bad devil, I mean, he's this, this monstrous, powerful, this huge dark force coming against you. And that, that, that God is just this little bitty pint-sized smurf. Can I tell you this? God wants to get out of the box that you put him in. See, the enemy is not concerned that you come to church on Sunday as long as you put God back in the box and just carry that box with you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Come on, you with me? God is is bigger. He's powerful. He's got muscles on top of muscles. Come on. He's got veins on top of veins. He's body slamming the devil. Come on, are you with me? Listen, don't let the enemy... The opposite of God is not the devil. The devil is a created being. Remember, God is infinite. He's always existed. No beginning and no end. You think the devil is some match for God? Are you kidding me? But, you know, sometimes our circumstances speak so loudly to us. I was, uh, the other day, I was was driving down the road, and I was thinking about the church. And many of you know, those of you that are, are in business and you understand how business works and sometimes you think about your employees, you think about your staff, you think about, you know, finances, you think about the bottom line and you think about moving the organization forward. I was thinking about the church. I was thinking about all that God is doing across all of our campuses. I thought about our mission to be a healing place for a hurting world and knowing it takes millions of dollars to to move this mission forward. And when we talk about launching campuses, when you have 13 campuses, how many know it's not just nickels and dimes and pennies and quarters? I started thinking about the finances required. Lord, we're going to need millions of dollars, man, to build that that permanent worship space in Ascension. And God, you put some things in our heart for HPC New Orleans. God, I feel like you're stirring. We're just going to take millions of dollars to do something in Metairie or Kenner or or New Orleans. God, you're you're stirring something. Man, we've been talking about LSU, Father. There's something for us at LSU. Can I tell you, we're, 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 we're not a mega church. We're a local church with a mega vision. And I started thinking about the finances required to move that forward, and I felt intimidated. And as I'm driving out of my neighborhood, there is a cow field in front of our, at the front of our neighborhood, big old cow field. And I looked at the cattle on that field, and the Lord said, Mike, look at those cows. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's cows, you know, beef. <laughs> I love steak. No, no, no. Mike, look at the cows in that field. And then he reminded me, Psalm 50, verse 10. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Here's the thing. If in Bible times, if you owned one cow, you were rich. If you owned a herd of cattle, you were filthy rich. But if you own the cattle on a thousand hills, That's bougie at a whole nother level. Come on, somebody. That's it. Somebody like, what did he just say? Is that okay I said that in church, babe? Bougie. It's all right. Look it up. It means filthy, stinking, crazy, ridiculous, rich. 
I mean, God's like, Mike, I got you. Because not only do I own the cattle on a thousand hills, I created the hills that the cattle graze upon. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Don't make God small. And listen, when you meditate on the character and nature of who God is, all of a sudden now God begins to grow and your problems begin to shrink. Look at what it says here. Let's pick up this. Moses is is on Mount Sinai. And look at what it says in the last half of verse 6. That was not only the greatness of God, but now let's talk about his goodness. The Bible says he is the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. Now, let me, let me shift gears and give you this second stanza, all right? The second list. We've talked about the greatness of God. Now, let's talk about his goodness. Okay, most people can embrace the greatness of God, his infinite power, but sometimes they struggle to receive his goodness. Lord, I know you're great and powerful, but I'm not sure you want to be good to me. Can I tell you this? The Lord wants to be good to you. Not only is he powerful, supernatural, created everything that we see, But he's so strong, there's a portion of his goodness that says, I want to bless your life personally. Isn't this the very first lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden? He wanted them to question God's goodness. No, no, no. God knows that if you eat that fruit, he's telling you not to eat it. But if you eat that fruit, all of a sudden your eyes will be open and you'll be as smart as him. You see, God doesn't want the best for you. He wants less for you. That's the lie of the enemy. Can I tell you this? I heard a pastor say recently that if Adam and Eve were Cajun, that we wouldn't have a sin problem. Because they wouldn't have eaten the fruit, they would have eaten the snake. Come on, somebody. Man, they'd seen that snake, killed him, had a meal, and maybe a pair of boots to go along with it. They ain't touching that fruit. Come on, somebody. Come on. And all the Cajuns said, aye. Goodness, God wants to be good to you. Hey, let me run through this list. He is compassionate. God says, I care about you. You know what compassion is? It's the ability to step in somebody else's shoes. Did God not step into our shoes when he sent us Jesus? Oh, man, God cares. Hear this all-knowing, all-powerful, limitless God. He cares about the details of our life. I combine the next two, merciful and patient. Okay, merciful and patient. I want to combine his patience and mercy because I'm short on time, but I also believe they go together. Here's my definition of mercy. Mercy is God's patience through your development. How many of you, you need God to be patient with you? How many of you sometimes have a hard time being patient with other people? Aren't you glad God was more patient with you than you are with some of the people in your life? <laughs> hey, listen, about a month ago, Rachel and I, we were at dinner, uh, and Trevor was with us. The three of us were, were having uh, dinner uh, at this restaurant, and a guy walks through the front door, and when I see him, I say, oh, Rachel, don't look, don't look, don't look right now, but I want to tell you about this guy that just walked in. How many ever done that to somebody? You say, don't look, and they're like... I didn't want her to blow my cover. I'm like, hey, don't, do, do not look. But the guy who just walked into the door now, he hates me. <laughs> She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, he, he, 
he, he doesn't, like, don't look now. I'll tell you when he sits down and then you can take a little glance. But I know that guy does not like me. She's like, well, how do you know? So I'm trying to tell her the story. And here's the thing. And, and so, you know, he feels like this about me, about the church, about whatever. And I, I kind of walked up on him. I caught him texting my name to somebody. I saw him. I literally, he's texting somebody. I see my name in his text message. I'm like, oh. And so Rachel says, well, you know what we ought to do? We ought to buy his dinner. (laughs) I said, can I rewind this? No, that guy right there hates me. He doesn't like me. He's talking about me. She's like, yeah, I heard you. We ought to buy his dinner. (sighs) I mean, at that moment, I was was wanting to go Old Testament. I'm an Old Testament Christian. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. She's wanting me to... You know, you know, bless those who persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, waitress. Hey, see that guy over there? He hates me. Would you bring me? I didn't say that to her. I didn't tell her that. I said, would you just bring, bring, me, his, bring me his ticket? Okay, so here's the ticket. I pay for the meal. Okay, paid for it. Well, then the guy realizes somebody paid for his meal, process elimination, comes over to the table. I'm like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. We fixing to throw down right here. Man, cell phones are coming out. People are taking video. It's going to be bad. Healing Place Church pastor just beats a man down in a public restaurant. Cancel the pastor. You're canceled. Oh, God. He comes over, he was just so nice and so gracious. And man, we had a chance to, hey, thank you, man. We just appreciate you. No, thank you. Man, I, I see you here and there and there. Yeah, that's God bless you. Hey, this is my family. All right, praise God. So he left. And then I asked the waitress, hey, can you bring me our ticket? And she said, well, somebody paid for your meal. And Rachel's like, told you so. You ladies, you tell us all the time. Fellas, do do you hear that from your spouse? I told you so. She got me. You know what? My flesh doesn't always want to act like God. Come on, somebody. But I'm grateful that mercy says I'm going to be patient as I work with you. God's patience through our development. He's compassionate. He's merciful and patient. He's full of unfailing love. Listen, just because you fail doesn't mean that God's love for you is going to fail He's trustworthy. I think about the faithfulness of God. He's trustworthy. You know, I still don't think I'm a great pick. I don't. Some days I look at myself, I'm like, God, why in the world would you want me on your team? Most days I don't feel like a great pick, but I know that God picked me. And you know what? If God calls you to it, he will equip you for it. Trust him. He's faithful. Are you catching this? I got a minute and seven seconds to get, and I'm, not, I'm still on the first mountain. We're stuck on this mountain. Let, 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 me, let me give you this last point here, and then we'll see what we need to do. Gracious and just. Okay, gracious and just. I want to ask the band to come out. Gracious and just. He says, I forgive iniquity. I do not excuse the guilty. I am both gracious and I am just. Hear me as we try to wrap this, this portion of it up. Let's don't pick and choose the things about God that we feel good with and then leave the other things alone. I mean, I love Piccadilly, but God ain't Piccadilly. All right? He's both a God of grace, but he is just. There's something about the justice of God. 
Listen, you won't appreciate grace until you understand God's justice. And I know that, that, that justice is the big movement of our day. I, I know it is. And, and the scripture tells us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But when I stand before God, I'm not going to demand his, his justice. I'm going to ask for his grace. I'm in need. The Bible says that he, 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 doesn't, he, he doesn't eliminate uh, the, the wrongdoing of the guilty. Man, if you're guilty, you're guilty. But here's the good news about grace. You can take your guilt to the cross because the cross is where justice and grace meet. In other words, all the punishment that your sins and my sins requires, listen, man, when I'm selfish and greedy and when, I, uh, when I'm jealous and I create strife and division, when I lie and say things and do things, man, that stuff, it, it, we serve a holy God. Man, that, that, man he, he can't embrace my sin. That's why I got to confess it. I don't just pick and choose what I want about God. You know, we were on vacation a couple weeks ago. And while we're on vacation, we went to this restaurant and we got nothing but dessert. Didn't even look, look, would you like to see a menu? No, 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 bring out the dessert menu. You ever done that? You ever go into a restaurant and just order dessert? In fact, don't even bring out the dessert menu. Every dessert on the menu, bring it to the table. Come on, how many like to go on vacation with the Haymans? Hey, calories on vacation don't count, all right? We ordered every dessert that they had. And so I said, bring all spoons around the table, one of each dessert, and we take a bite and pass it around. Take a bite, pass it around. Take a bite, pass it around. Does that sound like heaven to anybody? Ooh, that's all. But you know what? With God, you don't just order dessert. The whole menu of God requires us to look at his justice and then be grateful for his grace. Moses on this mountain, God says, I'm going to pass before you. I want you to see my greatness, but my goodness is available to you too. Now, for those of you that are wondering what that last point is, I, mean, I didn't even have time to get there. I wanted to talk to you about Elijah because Elijah went to the same mountain. 580 years later, Elijah goes to the same mountain and he needs a revelation of God. He defeats the prophets of Baal, but Jezebel wants to kill him. So he's fearing for his life and he hides himself in this mountain, the same place where Moses was. And guess what? God passed before him. There was an earthquake. There was a windstorm. There was a fire, but God wasn't in any of that. God was in that still small voice. You see, Moses had a revelation of God, but it was incomplete. Here comes Elijah. Elijah needs a more complete version. But if you fast forward 900 years after that, there's a third mountain, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And guess who's on that mountain? Jesus. Guess who shows up? Moses and Elijah. The two prophets who needed a revelation of God. And on that Mount of Transfiguration, here comes Moses, here comes Elijah. And then the Bible says that the face of Jesus was so radiant, it began to transfigure. That's why we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. You see, Moses saw the greatness of God. Elijah saw the goodness of God. But you know what the glory of God is all about? 
Jesus himself. Jesus. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.